just as we keep things moving here on Sports Talk, along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Welcome back to the program. Oh, it's always good to say hello to this man. He's the Foss, uh, Steve Foster. And by the way, thank you for the kind words you said for my 25th uh, anniversary tribute uh, with being at the radio station. I appreciate that. Uh, it was great to, to see you wearing one of the throwback 600 ESPN El Paso red T-shirts that you uh, have as well. Kathy, I figured if we were going to have a celebration of, of time that we should have something in the timeline somewhere along the timeline. You know, you didn't want everybody being at the 25th anniversary and not recall or remember anything that uh, happened prior to as uh, we've all enjoyed uh, the time that you have put in and uh, entertained and given us information. And I really enjoy working with you. I, I thank you for reaching out. I always uh, like to see you when I come home and uh, if we can catch up that way. But, uh, but a real... Uh, honest salute to you as a professional, but more so as even a better person. And I just really would hope that others would emulate some of the qualities that uh, you displayed throughout that time. It, it's a testament uh, of consistency, and the longevity is there uh, to support that man. So much love, and uh, I appreciate it, especially coming from our hometown. Ah, I appreciate that. Thank you very much for saying that, Foss. It's very <laughs> nice. Absolutely, it means it means a lot. And uh, all I can say is it's fun having you uh, on the with the family talking Cowboys football and having a chance to say hello to you every week. And and by the way, Thanks. and that reminds me, since we're we're talking about uh, Dallas and and their season, um, how surprised were you? Not that the Cowboys lost in Week One, but that they were only able to to muster 17 points in that uh, game against the Rams. That was a surprise. And, you know, let me just clear the air for everybody. I wasn't happy for Jason that Mike McCarthy lost. I I don't like people like that. Um, I'm always, you know me, I'm a positive guy. And and I would like to see uh, the Cowboys do well. That means Mike McCarthy is going to be a winning head coach. I'd like to see Jason do well as an offensive coordinator. Um, the, the idea when you switch teams that, you know, it, it's garbage. I'm never going to leave a teammate, and I'm not going to um, disavow a team that has had him, um, my family member in Everson Walls, and a whole host of other greats, Drew Pearson, Roger Staubach, Tony Dorsett, Emmett, Troy, Michael, uh, uh, Darren Woodson, the Manster, Bob Lilly, a whole bunch of people that have been part of Dallas Cowboys organization and uh, just go, well, you know, you're dead to me. That, that's not the case. But I was surprised that given the addition of a CD lamb and, and people can argue about the offensive line and whatnot, but that's a pretty potent offense that I think for whatever reason, um, I think, in the fourth quarter, it was just awful um, with the offensive pass interference call. That was garbage. Again, another wide receiver from Dallas making a spectacular play, all to be negated by the officials. That's why I hate referees, and I've said that too. But, yes, a little surprised that uh, the Cowboys for sure weren't in the 20s in their scoring. Hey, Steve, I want to jump in over here. Adrian, back at the Lubingo Studios. CeeDee Lamb, you just touched on him a little bit, but the rookie had all this praise around him. It's not like he underperformed in his opening game, but, hey, he's a rookie. He didn't even get a chance to go through preseason. What do uh, you think of CeeDee's first performance in this game? Well, I will take exception with one thing. Because, again, remember, Adrian, we've been playing football as football players for a long time. The one thing that got me with C.D. Lamb was when he didn't get enough depth coming across for Dak to get to the first down yardage, he could have taken one more step at some point to get past the sticks. So when he caught the pass from Dak, he could have converted the third down. That's not anything to do with a professional or collegiate or high school level. You have to know down and distance. So that was either a mental breakdown or just a flat-out mistake. Outside of that, though, 
Uh, he's definitely going to be more than serviceable. And I'd like to see him. I think uh, Dak went to Cooper maybe a little too much. Maybe he should have gone to CD and Michael Gallup a little more. You know, it's an interesting response because he has such a good rapport with Amari. But you're right. Lamb is making plays. Gallup as well. Um, and, and you said something earlier that was interesting. You know, you really didn't want to see McCarthy lose because of your relationship um, that you've had over the years um, with uh, Jason Garrett. However, that being said, were you surprised that they passed up on the field goal with 11 minutes left in the fourth and instead went for yes. it? On, uh, what was it? Yeah, yeah, yes, because here's the deal. It's just like a 100-meter dash or a baseball game and a walk-off. You just need to win at the end of the game. Last second three-pointer. So, especially on the road, in my opinion, if I'm the coach or if someone asks me, I keep pace with my opponent. It's not not playing to lose, okay? Get that out of your mind. Again, all you need to do is win a game at the end of the game. As Kansas City, they were losing throughout the playoffs, but not at the end of the game. So take the three. The mindset is, okay, we pulled even. All right, well, we can beat them. We have a better team. We can go down and get one more. You just got to get the W. I don't care if you didn't win to cover the spread. No player, hopefully, cares about the spread more than the W. Well put. Stephen Foster joining us uh, here on the show. He talks Cowboys football with us every week. The Foss, as uh, we call him, and uh, dissecting uh, Dallas's uh, tough 2017 loss to the Rams in week one of the NFL season. And by the way, I mean, we could talk all we want offensively about the Cowboys and what they didn't do. But my bigger concern heading into their home opener is their defense, especially knowing that they're still not getting Sean Lee back anytime soon, and now they've lost Leighton Vander Esch for another six weeks. Yes, but holding a team at home to 20 points is respectable, especially the Rams. That's respectable. That's less than a touchdown a quarter, and it's less than a touchdown over three quarters. That's respectable. I'm okay with the defense. I'm concerned like you, Cappy, that Vander Esch now, who's now on IR and no Sean Lee, we have to see who steps up and steps in. And mind you, all three quick receivers, as they're termed, wide out for Atlanta had over 100 yards receiving last week. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so, yeah. And then Todd Gurley, who wasn't there with the Rams, but he will be there in AT&T with the Falcons. Good way to look at it. You've, you've come full circle on your analysis uh, going there with the Gurley line. I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't like want that. you to have me on here just to take up time and space. I need to provide some type of football something. <laughs> No, you're, you're doing that for us. And by the way, I mean, if you look at bright spots from the loss to the Rams, Zeke was good. He played yes. very well. You know, 96 yes. yards and a touchdown. Looked like he was running with authority, which is which is what you want. I've heard a lot of people Correct. complaining about Prescott after the loss and said, you know what? He's a $40 million quarterback because that's what he's been wanting and that's what they were talking about this offseason. But a $40 million quarterback doesn't go one for eight on third downs in the second half. That's correct. And I don't think he's worth $40 million. And that's the thing. I would say, Dak, you're a 30-plus million-dollar quarterback. Get that taken care of. You're not going to get that money if you're the freaking executive vice president of any company in El Paso, <laughs> Dallas, Austin, Houston, not even New York, Chicago, or L.A. Take your money and go play football. Make money in endorsements, make money in the stock market, but concerning yourself about being the highest-paid quarterback or player in the NFL is immaterial. Tom Brady has six rings, and he's not even close to the highest-paid guy in the league, but he's got the most rings. That's why you do what you do. 
He also has a wife who's making so much money. He doesn't have to be the most expensive, uh, highest-paid quarterback in the league. I tell you what, I'll take Tom Brady's salary and bank account right now, and I don't care what my wife-to-be would make. (laughs) He's still not going to go hungry, and neither is Dak. But what Dak should hunger for are playoff wins, are going four for eight on third down in the second half, like you say. One for eight, not four for eight, not four for eight, Foss. He didn't go four for eight. He went one for eight. He should go. He should worry about going four for eight. That would have been better than one for eight. Was my point. (laughs) That's exactly right. Take it from whatever fourteen percent to fifty percent. Right. I agree with you. Or seventeen percent, whatever it is. He was awful. That's that's not going to get you any love or money. I think Dak is worried about or concerned with the wrong thing. And now he's put pressure on himself to be the $40 million guy that he's not going to be no matter what. There you go. By the way, one for eight is 12.5%, but it's good to know that. Okay, so I, was right is not, uh, I was right the yeah. first time. Yep. Yeah, I rounded up. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Yes. Hey, we've got we got more with the Foss coming up. You've got a question. You send it to us on Twitter. You can also tag Steve at uh, Foss underscore sports as we keep things moving here on the program. Tweets are already coming in right now. We'll get to some of those. But first, uh, let's go to Adrian. He's got a bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Thank you, Adrian. Back with us right now is the Foss, Steve Foster here on Sports Talk as uh, we continue talking uh, about the Cowboys. Their home opener against the Falcons is uh, this Sunday and. Uh, that game will be on our partner station, 95.5 KLAQ, with Brad Sham and Babe Loffenberg, along with Christy Scales, uh, the Cowboy Radio broadcast team. All right. So um, now, after all is said and done, we can second guess the Cowboys till we're blue in the face after that first game. Hey, uh, the good news is the entire division sands the Washington Football Club all lost as well. So three of the four teams are 0 1. The Eagles blew a lead. The Giants looked terrible. And the Cowboys, uh, you know, ultimately uh, had one really good quarter, the second quarter. Other than that, uh, you know, three quarters that just weren't good enough. You score three points in three quarters, you're not going to win too many football games. So they're also 0 1. But it can all change with the Falcons. But you mentioned something really interesting, and that is Matty Ice looked good on Sunday. He looked really good. Threw the ball all over the place. He's got great receivers, tons of toys to play with, including uh, a new running back that you alluded to earlier. So I think the Falcons will be a terrific test for the Cowboys defense. Now, if there's one uh, caveat, the Falcons also lost, despite 450 yards and a couple touchdowns from Matt Ryan. So, you know, they might have Julio Jones and and, uh, Ridley and, and everybody else, but the fact is... One of these two teams is going to come away with a win, just like Cleveland did last night. Right. And all hail my guy from Lake Travis High School here in the Austin, Texas area, Baker Mayfield. I know people don't like him, but that's my dude from the way back. It's 10th grade. So there it is. He beat out Joe Burrow, and a lot of people in the SEC were mad. But, you know, being a Texan, I'm a Big 12 guy. Not that I don't like the Aggies. With that said, Chappie, with that said, you're going to have to rely on Zeke more this upcoming Saturday. You're going to want, if, in my opinion, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, to shorten this game. You are not going to let or want Matty Ice swinging the ball all over AT&T with those wideouts. You're just not. There wasn't enough pressure on Jared Goff, uh, at least not in the first half. Second half, definitely better, but you do not want to let Ridley and Jones at all get loose in the in the secondary of the Cowboys. You do not. I'm with you on that one. Now let me ask you this. Since Blake Jarwin's now on the IR, Dalton Schultz is now the new starting tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott got to, uh, he had 22 carries last week in the loss to the Rams. Ideally, how many carries would you like to see him have against, uh, against Atlanta? 32. Wow. That's a lot. That's a big workload. You, you, you know, you do have Tony Pollard. Would you like to give Zeke yeah. maybe 25 yeah. and give Pollard, uh, you know, five or, or sure. seven carries? Sure, sure. Okay. But, again, if you're trying to win the game, you paid Zeke, okay? He's only going to have to work till he's 30. 
be a heck of an employee till you're 30. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like it's like the old rest in peace Bill Withers song. Use me until you use me up. You better give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, you're crazy not to. And here's the other thing, Cappy. Get to get the ball to Zeke in space and throw him the ball. And that did that to my liking a little better than, than usual, but set up screens for Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. Where you get two linemen and let those guys be on the edge in space. They're great out in space and they both can catch the ball. It stinks that Blake Jarwin is hurt. I really liked him. He could catch better than Schultz. You saw it when Jarwin was not there last week. That hurt me a little bit. I really liked him. Um, I hope he's not on IR for all that long. But that was a big loss um, because he can catch better, in my in my opinion. And so get the ball to Pollard and Zeke out in space. Let Michael Gallup use his size. C.D. Lamb in the slot use his size. I don't care if you use Cooper as a decoy. You're going to throw the ball to him because Dak likes that. But you need to shorten this game with Zeke and Pollard. Well, listen, uh, Jarwin's done. I mean, torn ACL yeah. in his right knee. Oh, he he's yeah. not coming back. Yeah. So he's finished. Yeah. So yeah. you're you know, maybe you as go far as Schultz goes. Yeah. I don't know who, but Schultz has got to catch the ball. That, that hurt me. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know what you need? You need you need Gronk to get released from Tampa Bay, and then the Cowboys take a flyer on him. <laughs> I think Gronk is going to get back into it. I think that whole Tampa Bay situation is overblown. Um, I think they'll get back on track. I really think Dallas can get it done at home, but you will not want to walk away from this game because I, I don't see it being a blowout at all. I think Dallas is going to have to go again and earn a single-digit win. And, I, and I'm just really hoping this team is going to be good when it comes down to winning games in less than, you know, seven points. Now, as far as the uh, linebacking core goes, it's Jalen Smith, Joe Thomas, and Alden Smith. You feel good enough about that uh, while yes. uh, Van Der Esch yes. is on the mend for the next six weeks? Yes. Yes. That's not an issue. Yes, I do. Okay. Where do you think the biggest uh, key is for the Cowboys against Atlanta? Is it, like you said, is it the running game to keep Matt Ryan off the field? Absolutely. When you can control any situation – and controlling can be good or bad. <laughs> you know, you've heard about relationships. Oh, so-and-so is so controlling. Well, the benefits to being controlling is that you do actually get to dictate terms. And I think given that Matty Ice and his receiving crew came out the way they did, you do not want to see that again because, as they always say, Cappy, the biggest jump is from the first to the second time, first to the second week. And, and I think that those receivers, if given the opportunity, are just very good. They, they really are. And so Absolutely. Um, I think Dallas's receivers can be the same way. But because you mentioned no Van Der Esch, even though I think the linebacking core is going to be great, if you've got, you know – Julio Jones and, 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 you know, who's going to cover him? Diggs? I don't know if I want to do that to the Rook that long for a game. Julio Jones is just he's, – he's fantastic, you know. And, and I think he would get enough of his that at the wrong time that could be bad for the Cowboys. Follow the Foss, Stephen Foster. You can follow him at Foss underscore sports. That's Foss, F-O-S-S underscore sports. Check out his show, Sundays from 8 to 11 in El Paso, called Laying Down the Law. It's from ESPN Radio in San Antonio, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Sundays, Laying Down the Law with the Foss, Steve Foster. Great stuff as always. Good to talk to you, and uh, look forward to uh, next Friday when we get the chance to chat again. Absolutely.
congratulations on your tenure of 25 years. I'm glad that I have been a part of it and continue on, and I know the listeners do as well. I appreciate you, my man. Take care of yourself, Foss. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for the time. And thanks for those kind words. I appreciate that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. I mean them. Steve Foster with us here on Sports Talk. Come back with more 42 Past as we continue on 600 CSPN El Paso. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk. Adrian brought us here along with Steve Kaplowitz. Now it's time to jump back right to our Village Inn hotline where all our guests appear. And welcome on Stephen Forrester, who's joining us on the Village Inn hotline. He plays linebacker for the Miners, redshirt senior coming out of Dallas, Texas. Stephen, before we begin, hey, really appreciate you doing this. Really excited to have you on and uh, talk about you and the program today. No problem. I'm excited to be here. Steven, the Miners are 1-1 one one, headed to their home game against uh, Abilene Christian this week, and you're one of the senior leaders on defense. What are your thoughts on just kind of the overall performance through two games? You see the win against Stephen F. Austin to start off the year, uh, lost last week to Texas 59-3. to How would you d- assess the defense so far? Um, I would, I, I'm so excited about our guys. I'm so excited uh, with this team. And um, one thing that I would say is, uh, you know, we have a lot of confidence in our guys, and that confidence is built in the off season, the summer workout. Um, I was really excited about some of the stuff that happened in week one and, and de- you know, obviously disappointed with some things that happened in week two. Um, but we've had a really great week of practice, building confidence with our guys, um, a lot of hustling to the ball, a lot of uh, just kind of doing the, the, the little things right, and that's where the confidence is built. And uh, I'm excited for, for what we're, we've got coming this week. Let's talk a little bit about you and, and how you came up into this sport. You're a 6'2", 230 linebacker, but you're coming out of Dallas Christian High School. Um, how did you get started playing linebacker, and, and how did you start playing football in general? So, uh, in, I mean, I started – Pee-wee when I was probably six years old. So this is uh, coming up on my 18th year of playing football. Um, I, I have uh, some ancestry in football. My granddad played for the Browns. Uh, under Jim, He played with Jim Brown. And then my uncle played for Green Bay. He's in the Green Bay Hall of Fame. Um, so I just – I call – when I was a kid, I always grew up with football as uh, just something that was natural, something that, uh, as a forester, that's what we do. Um, so I've been playing since I was very young, and I, I played defensive end um, and tight end in high school. And um, I was a smaller, undersized defensive end, uh, so they moved me to linebacker when I came to UTEP. But I actually signed – with UTEP to play defensive end um, and then through some, some different situations under our old coach I got moved to linebacker before I even came out here um, but that was it. one of the selling points for me to get me to El Paso was that I would play defensive end when I got out here. So your grandpa is Herschel Forrester. Your uncle, who you're referring to from the Packers, is Bill Forrester. So first off with your grandpa, what stories did he tell you with that Cleveland Browns team that struck you? And then second off, your uncle uh, Bill, what were some of the best stories that he told you with the Packers? He was named to five different Pro Bowls during his uh, NFL time. Yeah, so uh, my my granddad and uncle were great, well-rounded uh Men, and that's really the message that they pushed on me. It was football was very different uh, back when they played. I've got my granddad's first contract, and I think it was for two thousand dollars. So wow. it wasn't a big money sport back then, um, and they really didn't carry it around with a, a lot of uh, pride. They they found more pride in um, being strong Christian men and and pushing that. Uh, on us, and that was that was really the message that they pushed was just being a well-rounded individual more than um, you know focusing on athletics. But um, my some of the stories that my granddad would tell me was just Jim Brown. He was really big on him, um, and you know obviously great athlete. Uh, and then my uncle, um, they were so old. Whenever I, I 
kind of came around to ask about stories. So I didn't get to really know my uncle too, too well. Um, he had a, a, I think it was dementia, um, so speaking problem and remembering problem. It was, it was hard to communicate with him whenever I got old enough to actually ask questions. Um, but I, the coolest thing about my granddad was he had a uh, world championship ring before it was the Super Bowl. So they, they were in the world championship, or they won the world championship before it was declared the Super Bowl. Wow, I love that. Hey, when you're when you're playing high school football, you go to Dallas Christian High School, and it seemed like that 2013 senior year was really the best year for you. I mean, you guys finished off 12 and one, won the district championship, and as far as for you, you uh, actually were named to the All State team that year. I, I feel like it's it was a probably a great four years there uh, playing varsity football at Dallas Christian. Yes, sir. They have a great winning. Uh, history over there at Dallas Christian. We were a powerhouse, um, and I was really excited coming in my freshman year to play there because they've always been a powerhouse. But, uh, yeah, we my senior year was great, and my, my junior year I was actually on the, uh, the All-State team as well. So um, I, I love playing there. I've got a lot of great memories there, and uh, I, I owe a lot to, to some of those coaches there. Coach Wheeler's the head coach over there at Still is now to this day, um, but I, I definitely own owe a lot to a lot of those guys at that uh, at that school. What was your what was the recruiting process like for you? Um, my junior year was when I first started getting some looks, and uh, UTEP. I think it was Coach Higgins, who was the offensive coordinator at that time under Coach Kugler, came out to watch a seven-on-seven practice, and uh, I was playing a little linebacker at that point and running routes at tight end, Um, and I I went out to uh, Air Force, but I really wasn't recruited extremely heavy. I I had uh, very few Division I FBS looks. It was Air Force, uh, UTEP, and uh, Mexico, and... uh, Navy came out, but I never, I never actually went to to uh, visit their campus. They didn't really pursue me that that hard. So, military schools and then uh, UTEP and uh, New Mexico, and that that's really it. What was it about UTEP that drew you to El Paso? Um, I really, it's it's pretty funny. I really wanted to be an engineer, um, and then one semester in, I completely change my degree course but that's what brought me out here i was i was really interested in uh becoming a civil engineer and utep has a great engineering school and uh one semester in i i changed to finance wow and now you're pursuing your master's in leadership studies is that correct yes sir uh public administration is focused and in leadership studies nice that's great what would you like to do with your uh, career after football is done and you hang up the cleats I am really excited for the the opportunity to make some money, but I have no idea what I'll be doing. So um, I'm open to a lot of things. We'll continue our conversation with Stephen Forrester, linebacker for the Miners. But first, let's get a bottom of the hour sports center update as we continue. Again, we got Stephen Forrester joining us on the Village and Hotline as we continue linebacker for the Miners. Hey, let, let's jump into your career here at UTEP. Um, you start off as a freshman. You earn a medical redshirt after you open the season and had a season-ending injury, but then you bounce back your 2016 year. You play a little bit. They sprinkle you in the mix. 2017-2018, where they started playing you a little bit more on defense, but it was really last year, Stephen, where I guess no one actually – I should say, had you on their radar, and you emerged as a as a, a prime candidate in the linebacker core for this team, and really helped the team down the stretch uh, in the linebacker group. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I came in like I told, like I said uh, as a defensive end, didn't really know a whole lot about linebacker, um, and I started playing my freshman year, but after my injury, I, I went through. Um, really a, a tough mental recovery. That was probably the hardest part of it. Um, I was told by a lot of people that I'd never, you know, be 
as good as I was, and I would I would never run as good as I did. Um, and then that that first year that I came back in 2016 uh, under Coach Mason, I wasn't ready to play, um, and I got thrown out there in a couple of games. And uh, I remember one play in particular. I had to change direction. I started going to my left, and I had to change direction, go to my right, and I just collapsed on the field. So uh, the product that I put out there in, in 2016 was pretty poor, and um, I think that, that got me mentally in a bad place and uh, I just continued to get the, the message from other people that I'd never play. Some coaches told me I'd never play again. I should go down to Division I F, uh, FCS. And uh, then really Coach Demel and Coach Shad coming in with this new program, um, kind of took a little bit of chance on me and um, stuck with us, continued the message that we're their guys and gave me some confidence confidence with that. And uh, so mentally the battle was the hardest. With Coach Demel and Coach Shad coming in, I was able to overcome some, some mental obstacles and um, I was just excited to get my opportunity when it came. Well, when the opportunity really came was that UAB game. My goodness, I, I remember when I saw you in as a starter, I was thinking to myself, wow, Stephen Forrester starting this game. That's really interesting. I haven't seen that yet. And then you come out of the gate with 10 solo tackles, 11 stops in the game against UAB, who was one of the best teams, if not the best team, out of last year in Conference USA. Yes, sir. Yeah, and actually that game I would not have played um, – if Sione, uh, you know, he had to sit out that game for, for a neck problem, but it's it's pretty interesting to think I could have never really gotten an opportunity. Um, I just, you know, it's, I was very blessed to get an opportunity for that game. Wow. The ultimate what if if you hadn't played that game, but following that one, you just start and play pretty much in the last three games for the Miners. You end up with 24 tackles on the season last year. You finish off the, the season and over the offseason, you become one of the, the starting defensive uh, linebackers for this unit, along with being one of the senior leaders and captains. Yeah, I'm excited with the opportunity that I have here. A lot of uh, young guys, uh, I feel like I've, I've had a strong impact. So the leadership studies, the graduate degree in leadership studies has, has helped me to see uh, kind of how to reach people differently. I would say that's probably my biggest impact on this team is I think that um, I've, I've got a lot of experience with some less than perfect situations. And uh, I can just kind of encourage guys that, you know, get down on themselves for – small mistakes. I, I've got a little bit of a uh, longer history with, with football in uh, terms of losing some games and, and fighting through and always uh, having a go get them mentality. So I, I, I don't, I wouldn't uh, boost myself too much on my athletic ability. I, I'm confident in my, um, you know, my assignments and what to do. Um, but I'm definitely not the star of the defense, but I would say that I I, uh, I really am, am proud of the way that the guys have been playing. I feel like I've got had a strong impact in, in uh, helping create some, some strong-minded men and uh, hopefully a, a great defense here. So we'll see as the season goes on. We're talking right now to Stephen Forrester, who's joining us on our Village Inn Hotline as we continue here on Sports Talk. Stephen, when you look at the rest of this season and you look towards Saturday against Abilene Christian, what are some of the ways that you want this defense to improve in the coming week? Um, I think a big emphasis this week was hustling to the ball. Um, another, another thing is uh, those guys that come in as a second string or a little bit further down the depth, really know their stuff um, and and the confidence. I think if we can play with confidence and, and who we have in there, if the defensive line can trust the defensive backs to make plays and defense, defensive backs can trust the defensive line and the linebackers, you know, as long as everybody can trust who's on the field, um, I think we'll, we'll put a great product out there. And, and I'm really excited 
with uh, the work that we've put in this week. I think we've built a lot of confidence and a lot of trust, and uh, I'm really excited to see what happens. Hey, another area of emphasis, putting more pressure on the quarterback, and that's kind of been an issue for the past uh, couple weeks and, you know, even dating to last year. What are some of the ways that you guys have been emphasizing that in practice and getting to the quarterback and uh, causing some more pressure? Um, <clears throat> I, I think that we just need to go more often. We've got, you know, we, we go a lot with one group of guys and uh, they get tired and, um, may not go as hard. So I think as long as I think we've got the guys to go, they just need to get going, uh, get a little bit tired, and they may feel sorry, you know, may start feeling sorry for themselves. And, but I know Praise can go. I know Keenan, Kelton, uh, we got JT in there. All those guys can cause a lot of havoc. So I'm excited to see the, the product that we put out there. Hey, two turnovers against Stephen F. Austin. That was pretty big to start off the season with your defensive unit. How do you uh, look to replicate that maybe in week three? Yeah, man, I, I was so excited to see 10 uh, force that fumble, and then JP picked it up, and um, I believe it was D'Lo on the interception mm-hmm. uh, in a really crucial situation. Both of those, those turnovers were crucial. Um, but... Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how how we uh, continue to to create those turnovers, and um, I've been doing stakes for the guys that do. So we're we're having a lot of team bonding and um, and uh, just some, having fun little things that we're doing just for, just amongst the players. Steven, as we're wrapping up here today uh, on the program, you've been great. Thank you so much for all the the time that you've uh, given me today. Just want to ask one final question. Your brother, Joshua, is a a sophomore defensive back right now with the Miners as well. Uh, You've got three other brothers in your own family. Uh, But you also look at this roster. There are four sets of brothers on the UTEP Miners right now. you got the Flores family and Lucas... Jacob and Ray, Azizi Henry, Zuri Henry, those are two sets of brothers. Blake Thompson, you got Trent Thompson, and then you and Josh. How, how crazy is that? A, a team full of uh, four different sets of brothers. Yeah, I think that really helps to uh, help, help the bonding of the team. You know, um, me and Josh compete in the uh, summer workouts and spring workouts, and uh, I think that creates a lot of excitement because because uh, there's just some, there's a different type of competitive, um, you know, feeling between brothers than there are of just kind of guys that are coming together under the name of UTEP football. So I, I think it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome to see, um, and it, it it makes me happy to be on the same team as my brother. That's great. Hey, Stephen, best of luck for the rest of this season. Best of luck to the team on Saturday. And and really, thank you again for joining us here on the program today. No problem. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for all your wishes. You got it. Stephen Forrester, who joined us on our Village Inn Hotline. We're going to take a timeout right now. When we come back, more phone calls and tweets. Stay with us as Sports Talk continues right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. And welcome back, everybody, to Sports Talk as we wrap up another great week here on the program. Who else to get us ready for the weekend but Tim Haggerty, voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas, with what I am already starting to feel very sad about because today is the second-to-last edition of Storytime for 2020. Hags, what do you have for our listeners this week? I'm sad as well. It's been a great run. Uh, Today, I'd like to tell you about the phrase Mad Season. There was a 1990s rock band, a super group, and the title of the band was Mad Season. And it's an English phrase for when things aren't making sense or when someone's acting strange. Evidently, people in England and some parts of England say, well, it must be Mad Season. And the origin behind this is quite a story. There are, I'll try to pronounce this right, psilocybin mushrooms in parts of rural England, and when they are in full bloom on a breezy day, there are some small villages in a part of England that people get hallucinogenic reactions from the air because of these hallucinogenic mushrooms. And that time of year, 
in most parts of England is called Mad Season. So, there's two points to this week's story. One, there are parts of England where people reportedly hallucinate while breathing outdoor air in this field. <laughs> and two, when something seems off, you can now use the phrase from England, it must be Mad Season. I like it. Good phrase. Now, I remember the band Mad Season because that was right around the time I was finishing up college and uh, going into radio here in El Paso, since uh, you're right, it was formed in 94, and I think that album came out soon afterwards. A lot of great names in that band, by the way. Um, the late uh, Lane Staley was in that band. Um, for those of you that follow Alice in Change, you know who I'm talking about. Members of Pearl Jam, uh, like Mike McCready, were also in that band. Um, so before we get to the... Um, hallucinogenic uh, portion of this uh, conversation the music itself were are you or were you a fan of mad season yes there was only one cd only one really mainstream popular song but great sound and excellent band and uh as you mentioned the late lane staley that was the loss back in 2002 that's a rough years at the end of his life but uh tremendous singer Absolutely right. Absolutely. So um, it's interesting, too. And apparently, I didn't know this, but they were mixing the first Pearl Jam record uh, in the same town where the um, hallucinogenic mushrooms came from, Sri England. That's where uh -huh. they were actually mixing the record back in 91. And... Apparently, people that were working in the studio said, oh, it must be the mad season, and explained the uh, the whole thing. And at the time, Mike McCready said that he was going to keep that title for something someday. And there you go. And apparently, he was getting sober in the early 90s and decided that now it's time to bring mad season out, which is what they ended up doing. So kind of an interesting thing um, when you talk about how the name came about and, and the whole, you know, Pearl Jam tie-in with that. And I know you're such a huge uh, Pearl Jam fan, Hags. You love them. Um, and yet, I think about this. And uh, Adrian, I know you're busy online kind of doing the research while Tim's talking about this story. Are there any other parts of the world that you know of from research where the air turns into a hallucinogenic experience because of <laughs> mushrooms or something else? No, I have not found that at all. I mean, that would be amazing right there. I was just so I couldn't believe this about the Mad Season band. I, I can't believe all these names that are in it. And I also found it very interesting that uh, Pearl Jam's guitarist, Mike McCready, he went into actually rehab in Minnesota where he actually met the bassist John Baker Saunders. How about that? Well, guys, uh, in my travels, I've seen many, many vast fields, farms, bringing all sorts of crops, but uh, have never hallucinated while driving by a farm. I haven't either. But are you tempted now? Okay, let's let's do this the right way. If you visit England, and it happens to be that time, the mad season time, are you tempted to at least see what it's all about and try to figure out if you will have at least the effect that other people have from these um, magic mushrooms that uh, grow and then all of a sudden they bloom and they're all in the air. Personally, I'm always really cautious about what sort of um, effects might you know, happen if I consume something. So I uh, would not advise people to take anything that makes them hallucinate, and therefore um, I'd probably say no thanks. Now apparently, um, you know, when this whole thing goes down, people start wandering around the area, and as, you know, McCready said, half out of their minds picking mushrooms. So now... And the reason I bring this up is I've, uh, I do cherry picking out there by uh, Cloudcroft. I've done apple picking as well. And it's usually a very organized thing. Families come out. We use ladders. We go up. We get our, our, uh, our fresh uh, you know, fruit when it's uh, in season, and we bring it back. 
I could not imagine going someplace where you see people just wandering around like they're in a daze, picking things, and having really no idea what they're doing. Could you? No. And just the fact that they say it's so strong that even a gust of wind can make you do it, um, you know, can produce these hallucinogenic effects. It's crazy. I've never heard anything like it. Tim Haggerty, voice of the Chihuahuas, with us here on Sports Talk. Now, let me tie this all in together. You are the voice of, of the Chihuahuas. You've been in minor league baseball now for well over a decade and a half. Have you in your lifetime ever encountered a story about a player in the 60s that ever played the game while on mushrooms? Well, the obvious first name is Doc Ellis, who reportedly pitched a no-hitter on LSD. Um, you know, I Major League Baseball really tightened up the amphetamine testing. That even I, I'm even old enough to remember. Um, let's see here. The congressional hearings were 2005, and and it was after that that drug testing really. Uh, was ratcheted up to an Olympic level in baseball. So right when I was getting started, you still heard whispers about, you know, players would drink coffee with maybe a little additive there, but uh, never mushrooms. These are, I'm, I'm talking like, you know, greenies, as they used to call it. But no, uh, other than that, um, never mushrooms, no. <laughs> Have you? No. I haven't, but I know that you you have so many great stories. You know you know what's happening, and you know what's uh, the latest. Now, I will uh, direct our listeners to this, okay? If you go to the website, shroomery.org, that's S-H-R-O-O-M-E-R-Y.org, and you go into the forum, apparently there are people who will buy pre-filled and sealed grow bags of mad season mushrooms called mad bags hags and they are actually able to purchase those can you imagine what that must be like wow i did not know any of that uh nor have i ever been to that website um but yeah i mean the thing that I thought made it was an interesting story is this bizarre, interesting phrase, and then the stunning backstory. Um, and you have definitely gone deeper than than I did on this. Uh, I, mean, I mean, what I would like to know is if people in this village, and, and they're not going into the fields like Mike McCready was describing, if, if they're just like walking on a, a Sunday stroll how much effect are they feeling during this time, during mad season? It's a great question. Great, great question. I don't know. Anything you want to add, uh, Adrian, before we uh, uh, put this uh, mushroom segment uh, to bed? Well, Tim, you outdid yourself. This was, a, this was very entertaining. I'm now on furthermore.com looking up uh, some of the studies that have been done with athletes and mushrooms. How about this? Here, get this, guys. Emotionally, it can make you more open and empathetic. Some athletes say that it might help you get into the zone or flow of state during an exercise, and research suggests that it could reduce depression, make it easier to go off antidepressants, but mushrooms have variable amounts of what their potency is. So that's what's uh, that's the at least the testing that's gone on with the athletes uh, trying mushrooms while they play. Steve, I think we need a disclaimer here. At least I would like to that I am not advising anything like that. What Adrian just said. But, I am the same. But um, we do not here on Sports Talk or 600 ESPN El Paso um, yeah. advise or encourage anybody to try mushrooms and and find out for themselves after this discussion if uh, if the effects are real. That's for sure. Um, good answer, Tim. Good answer. By the way, I want to I want to end it with a baseball question for you. Did you see what happened last night to Josh Donaldson um, in the Twins game? No, as we taped this, uh, regrettably, I did not see the highlights last night. But please fill me in. I, I saw he was ejected, but didn't see any video. He was ejected after hitting a home run because he was not happy with the call from the home plate umpire on a strike in the pitch before. Swatted one out to left. On his home run trot, as he was getting ready to cross the plate, 
He kicked dirt all over home plate, did not touch the plate, was thrown out by the umpire, came back, touched the plate, kicked some more dirt on the plate, and then was out. So my question is, should his run count if he kicked the dirt before touching home plate and thus was ejected by the umpire? So there's, okay, how far did it go? Um, still on the field. When, like, what, oh, yeah, he like, just, what I mean is, when he turned around to then touch home plate, where was he walking from? Um, the, like the, the, steps, like the right side of the batter's box. Plate. Exactly. He was still in the batter's box area. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of precedents on this. Uh, one of them involves a twin, Miguel Sano. When he was in single A at Fort Myers, he had a pitch thrown over his head. He believed it was intentional. He was furious. The next pitch, he hits a home run, and he begins jawing as he's rounding the bases, and he's yelling, and he's shouting. And while he's rounding the bases, he was ejected. That run did count because they explained that a home run is a dead ball, and he touched home plate, and it did count. But I remember a play, it was Gabe Kapler, a game in Toronto, where he somehow got hurt while rounding the bases. And uh, they were saying if you insert a pinch runner there, that Kapler would not be given a home run. But in the Donaldson play, you know, he's still eligible to touch home plate there after an ejection. Um, he was given credit for the home run, right? He was. Should he have been? I mean, that's the question. Because ultimately, he never touched home. He he kicked dirt on home, was tossed, right. came back to touch it, kicked some more dirt on it, and then was ejected. I remember this coming up also uh when I was in Tucson, I think 2012, Sacramento with this player, Adrian Cardenas, uh, got up to the big leagues a little bit, and a similar thing happened. He's upset in the middle of a count. He's arguing with the umpire. The next pitch is ball four, and he turns around and says something along the lines of, oh, so you do know how to call a ball, and gets ejected. <laughs> and I thought, so what's going to happen here? Is it going to be a pinch runner? But Cardenas actually ran down to first, touched first, and then had to leave. Um so I think the result of the at-bat supersedes the ejection in this case, I think. Thank you. I appreciate you giving us some clarity on that as we head into the weekend. I can sleep better this weekend, so thank you for that. <laughs> and um, from mushrooms to a home plate ejection on a home run, we have come full circle here on the show, and I can't wait to see and hear what you have for us for our final story time next week. Yes, we will finish strong. Awesome. Thank you, Hags. Thank you. From Tim Haggerty and Adrian Broadus to all of you, enjoy the weekend. UTEP tomorrow. And for those of you observing Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, Happy New Year, everybody. We'll talk to you again Monday at 4 on another edition of Sports Talk right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Enjoy Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals, everybody.